Hello to the listener and welcome back to Private Practice Podcast. I'm Daniel P. Brown and I'm in the London Private Practice Podcast studios. Hello. I'm James Hall and I'm back in the Casablanca Private Practice Podcast studio. Today on the Private Practice Podcast, we're going to be looking at on becoming a person and we're going to be thinking about what kind of person you might like to be. We'll be thinking about what kind of people we are and we'll be thinking about what makes us who we are and also how we can be better at being who we are. Um, We're basing a lot of today's episode on the writings and teachings of um, our Lord and Saviour Carl Rogers who the astute listener will remember we've done a short episode on before so you might like to listen back as a brief introduction to Carl Rogers and just some of the musings and murmurings that James and I came up with before but this time we're going to be spending today and the next few episodes exploring in more depth his wonderful book on becoming a person Um, and I might even have some fun activities that James and I are going to introduce to you to find out a little bit more of what kind of a person you are and what drives you. Um, And hopefully you can then use the context of these episodes to just become a better person. So that's how Dan would introduce it. Here's how I would introduce it. (laughs) Because remember, everyone, doing a podcast in a pair is basically a competition. Last year, the astute listener remember that we had an episode on Carl Rogers. And uh, it was a two-part called Carl Rogers versus the Psychopaths, in which we looked at his main idea of unconditional positive regard. And I kind of wanted, obviously the kind of is unnecessary, I totally wanted, knowingly, uh, conclusively, unambiguously, to fully explore the book on becoming a person on this podcast from the moment I started reading it but it was it was very it was still very much um, at the forefront of everyone's memory everyone involved um, that we explored the flow book in exhaustive detail and Dan was still suffering the agonizing trauma of hearing me say things like today we're on page 237 and then going through every single thing written in that book and the idea of doing that all over again with a let me just have a look 420 page book filled Dan potentially with some dread and the last thing I wanted to do was to launch into something that I knew Dan wouldn't want to do whereby I would have to try and motivate him over the course of something like six to eight episodes to do something he didn't want to do. So I kept my 
burning desire to go through all the ideas in this book to myself. By the way, is the clock ticking or is the clock in the bathroom? You, can I just stop you there? This is the most wonderful introduction. I mean, I'm only halfway through. In fact, probably a third. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well, okay, I'm going to go and deal with a clock that may or may not be ticking. Well, I continue and, with my monologue. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, then I'll have the joy of listening to it again for the first time when I when I listen to your edit of the podcast. And that's just going to be, you know, an overwhelming moment for me to hear the the final two thirds of this introduction, this necessary introduction uh, that, 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 that trumps and, and, and outweighs anything that I had previously done for this episode. So I can't wait for that. You, you go on. Okay, while, Carry on without while, me. While Dan deals with the clock, he's taking his headphones off. I'm going to pretend he can't hear what I'm about to say, which he may not be able to do, but he's holding his hands over his headphones. So take them off and deal with the clock. Let me talk to the listener. <laughs> I'm just going to say Dan's introduction was better. Mine has already gone on too long, and I haven't even got to essentially the summary of what we intend to do over the coming episodes so I'm, I guess I'll carry on with my bad ones so that you can fully compare his concise friendly summary with my ridiculous lengthy baggy monologue and so in conclusion what, <laughs> what we oh, intend wow. <laughs> wow so so I'm going to backtrack because I don't think we've, you know, I don't think there's been enough introduction. Let's think about, let's ask a few questions before we get into this. Um, who are we? What are we? Um, if the listener has just joined us, um, having started a course in mental health and decided to Google podcasts, about Carl Rogers or is a psychology student who is doing his um, midterm essay on positive psychology and um, personality. Uh, perhaps they've come to the podcast for the first time. So perhaps we should just take a moment to introduce who we are and maybe what we are. Um, James, who are you? The way we introduce ourselves um, I think on the website and, and in anywhere else where it might appear is it always starts with you and it's basically Dan is a professional mental health nurse he trained in blah blah and there's, there's everything that you're about to say about yourself and then the punchline is at the end of it it then turns to me and I say and I'm none of those things but I have a master's in radio and I'm an only child who knows exactly how things should be done so Thankfully, I'm here to to steer this ship the way it sh and keep it on track. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't want to do that today. You you want to not do that. So, I there's I mean the, the listener. There's many ways you can think of me. Um, one is that uh, I bring all of my character flaws to this podcast which will make you feel much better about yourself and the other is that unlike Dan who works as a mental health professional I do not 
and therefore I am basically interested in these subjects and learning which potentially is what you're doing and therefore I'm taking you on this journey and given that this is not some kind of forum where we all where you the listener me and Dan all meet together I am the representative of the listener asking the questions reading the books trying to work out um how the different disciplines within psychotherapy, psychoanalysis, etc., um, all relate and putting them together in a context that is relevant in a contemporary, up-to-date perspective. Because lots of these, I mean, the 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 the, the, the psycho psychoanalysis is only around a hundred years old, so it's not like we are reading books that were like philosophy books that were written thousands of years ago or anything. But um, a lot happens in a hundred years, and so if, if, if rather than just saying Freud said, and then learning Freud, and then saying Melanie Klein said, we like to also cross-reference with twentieth-century psychologists and contemporary psychologists. So I'm basically interested in these subjects and in my interest, decided to um, learn about these things, but simultaneously making these podcasts. So as the listener learns, I'm essentially guiding them through. But why would the listener listen to me when I have nothing more to offer than they could work out for themselves? They need someone with gravitas, a role model, someone who really knows his stuff and will not let them down. As soon as we find them, they are sure to take my spot in this podcast. Um, so I am James's counterpart in this podcast. My name is Daniel P. Brown. I am a mental health professional in many respects. And in this podcast, in many respects, I'm not. What we're trying to do here, from my perspective, is to have a conversation around some of the more interesting areas of psychology, psychoanalysis, ideas and thoughts around mental health, some of the writings and some of the characters that have pushed forward the field of study, um, and look at it from a human perspective and from a modern perspective, from a living in the day and age that we live in, the 21st century, and thinking about how some of these ideas, old and new, still affect us and still can be really useful to us. Um, I feel like um, a lot of what we're looking at is trying to live a more contented, more um, engaged, more fulfilling life and thinking about how you do that and thinking about how our thinking will enable us to do that. Um, so although I am here with certain professional background in nursing and mental health and the NHS and having worked in treatment for various different um, con mental health conditions. I'm also here just as a human being and as a man and as someone living in the 21st century who, like many people, um, experiences distress and suffers and enjoys himself at times and you know lives in a complex um, social environment and in a complex workplace and in a complex geopolitical whatever you can call it world um, uh, has a, a world experience what's a better way of saying that James 
<laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think there needs to be a better way of saying that. The only thing that we didn't say is that you, Dan, have had many years in therapy, which means that you can talk about the therapeutic process from some kind of experience that I can't. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been in therapy since probably my mid-20s. Oh, and I'm now in my early 40s. And, uh, yeah, in and out of therapy, tried different kinds of therapy, had it up to twice a week, analytical therapy, cognitive therapy, humanist therapy, some psychology sessions, coaching, all kinds of different things. So, yeah, yeah, I... I loves me some therapy. Don't worry, listener. I'm not in my 40s. I'm not over the hill. Um, I fully represent your youth and vitality, listener, as someone who is still in the prime of life. I mean, we don't want to alienate the younger listener. Of course not. Of course not. Anyway, on to today's episode. We have, we've got, you know, um, 80 minutes of good good stuff coming up for you here. James, do you want to kick us off as to why you found this book so enthralling and why you wanted to uh, explore it in further detail? Yes, I can say in very few words, because only last week in our episode on Oliver Sacks did we go into great detail about how to communicate ideas in um, scientific research that can that are almost impossible to digest in their raw form of research papers and often badly communicated by the scientists themselves who are not necessarily uh, talented communicators. And so we used last week Oliver Sacks as an example. But I would say that the Carl Rogers is a very similar example of someone who you can just read and be captivated by and learn as you go along as opposed to getting through a page and thinking what and going back to the start again and thinking uh, somewhere in this in this fog of words there's supposed to be something I'm getting from this but uh, it, it seemingly passed me by the first time I remember reading this book and it, it, it couldn't be more crystal clear the idea for the listener I would very much recommend that you get the book and read along with us, but we're not going to just sit here and tell you what, you're, what you just read or what you're about to read. It's, the, I think um, what we want to do is look at the contemporary context and understand the, the process of coming to these conclusions rather than sort of like taking it as a, as a self help prescription because do, do you agree like, because I think that Carl Rogers has kind of a philosophy rather than just a step by the, the 10 steps to improving your love life or whatever yeah I, I don't think Carl Rogers book on becoming a person is a self-help guide at all in essence the book is about human interaction <coughs> and about human development and about communication. It's very much focusing on how to enable the most effective form of understanding between two people. And he does that in a number of different ways. And it's by having a certain amount of self-awareness 
and and also knowing where your blind spots are and how to develop them um you know like james said it's a it's a it's a collection of his writing which he's put into a book i think he started writing it in the in the 1940s and potentially carried on writing the different essays and speeches and talks and um you know um research papers th- throughout a 20 30 year period and and i think the book was first published in 1961 and i think it's still as readable today as it was then um you know none of the language used is is out of reach or, or or esoteric and so he writes in a way as you could read it almost just for the enjoyment of reading a a, a person's you know uh, professional diary and thoughts about you know what they've been through and how they're developing i mean carl rogers was a psychologist and a therapist he was someone who engaged in psychotherapy for children adolescents um and looked at the whole range of different mental health conditions but also found problems in the therapist patient relationship uh, um, and also problems in the labeling and diagnosis of people's um people's states of being he had real he had a real concern around that and it troubled him and so a lot of his writing is about how to demystify and demedicalize what might be seen as you know mental health uh, sorry mental illnesses and conditions that might fall into categories like psychosis or neurosis and um things that actually separate two individuals from talking about um their experience of life because of the assumptions and the fears and the anxieties and also the the stigma and the blame and the criticism and the shame that that is attached to having quite potentially quite damaging labels attached to your behavior like schizophrenic or psychotic or depressed or um anxious you know all of those words when attached or believed about or by a person can automatically add a layer of um fog to an interaction between two human beings uh, you know a um in, introduces a power structure it introduces a um uh, like like i said the the professional and patient relationship rather than two people trying to understand an area for development or to problem solve or to think about what is distressing and how to become less distressed by a certain situation or idea or thought and a lot of what carl rogers was writing about was how to demystify that whole experience and all of those processes um i think i'd like to just briefly go back to what we did last year which was our two-part episode on um his idea of unconditional positive regard which is the main idea of this book uh, but because so, basically what we did last last time was two parts. Part one, what is unconditional positive regard? And we explained it. And then in part two, we kind of tested it. Like, does this idea stand up to scrutiny? And we looked at how psychopaths can manipulate people and essentially make a mockery of their unconditional positive regard and leave them losing out in interactions and being played. And it's not like we debunked the idea, but it was it was kind of like a 
an intellectual exercise of testing a conclusion that he made. And I think one of the joys of the book is to go along with Carl from the start to the finish of his writing and understand how he came to his conclusions, how he tested them and so on, rather than just taking his conclusions. Because firstly, you can't just take... You can't just say unconditional positive regard, slap the book down and declare that human beha- un- understanding of human behaviour is complete. That's it. There's nothing left to discover. If only all the idiots in the world would read this book, they would be up to speed, but they don't. And that's why they're all wrong. Um, but at the same time, the value of his ideas have, in my experience since reading it, completely changed the way I am able to uh, cope with things in the world that were previously more difficult for me, like conflicts of relationship or understanding how to be when you live your life with goals that you can't achieve and the world seems to be conspiring against you and everyone seems to think a different way or something like that. Um, I feel like there's, there's a, there's a value in this book that allows you to pursue whatever goals you have in life without feeling like you're running up against so much friction because whatever you want to do, the chances are that of all the billions of people in the world who are also trying to pursue their goals, not all of them are going to be aligned with making your goals happen. So the, the, there's overwhelming friction for every single human being in, in, in following and trying to achieve their goals. And if you have this impression that the world is out to get you, so what's the point? Or the world is out to get you, so you just need to get more nasty uh, to win. The world is out to get you, so um, it's going to be tedious and you're going to become jaded or whatever. Um, then that is, that, that I think is a strong contributor to depression, anxiety, belief in conspiracy, or many of the other things that we talked about. Uh, in other episodes of this podcast and being able to um, follow your your path towards achieving goals in a way that feels enjoyable rather than feels like is ju- you're just being you're just tr- trying to walk against a, an overwhelming force pushing you in the other direction is something that makes life much more worth living and I think you get that from understanding the the philosophy that is presented in this book or that's one way of getting there that I have found very effective is the philosophy that Carl Rogers has in this book yeah I, I, I would agree with you there um, I think one of the things that we should maybe do at this stage is have a look at some of those uh, key lessons that he talks about in his uh, first chapter um, or part his first part of the book speaking personally um, and his little subtext is I speak as a person from a context of personal experience and from personal learnings and in this first chapter he thinks about all the things that make him him and how he's developed and thinks about some of his kind of like life lessons and his um 
and the phrases that he, he, he keeps in mind when he's working with other people. Is there anything you wanted to say about the first chapter before I dive right in and, 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 uh, and read out loud some of my scored, underlined sections that during my nursing uh, course I, I, I tried to keep at heart? Only to fill in the listener on some of the joy that was had between um, the two of us at the end of the last recording when we talked about doing this um, series of episodes on on becoming a person. When um, I said to Dan that I wanted to, uh, to, to do this, but that I was keeping in mind all his feedback from the flow episode. And so I didn't want it to be an exhaustive, everyone turn to page 273. But um, the copy of the book that I'm using is the one that Dan had, uh, I think when, when you were a mental health nurse in training, mm-hmm. you were, yeah. And um, so Basically, the feedback from Dan from the Flow episode it can be summed up as kind of like me saying, right, everyone page to turn, turn to page 16 right now. We're on part one of eight, and then part eight has got A, B, C, D, E, and F, and we're going to get through all of it before the end, and then, only then can we all take a, take a breath and be present and in the here and now. And Irvin Yalom is not going to like this if he listens to it, because I'm not present. I'm in the future when this episode is done, according to my criteria, clearly written out with autistic integrity in my notes and then so having just having said that okay this time we're going to be we're not going to be so rigid um like last time i pick up dan's copy of the book and sure enough he has numbered in the in the side of the page uh various things that carl rogers has said which which i found very helpful because i thought oh the those are the, the, the that would make an excellent introductory episode from the first part of the book. Let's just go through numbers one to six. And I went through this with Dan on the phone, and he said, uh, mm-hmm. "Don't forget parts A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H that go from pages twenty-two through to twenty-seven." <clears throat> I guess it's all about context, James, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, in context of the joke, but also context of the fact that when I was first reading on becoming a person in 2002 and was studying to become a mental health nurse, there may well have been a need for me to be thorough with my referencing and my articulating of the ideas in uh, Carl Rogers' classic text so therefore perhaps numbering and lettering and uh, putting into a a specific table of contents for my essays or for my own knowledge and practice might have been quite useful what i hear is you saying james when you do it like this it's the autistic only child being tedious and when i do it it's very sensible and useless and useful Oh dear, that was a Freudian clitoris. Yes, it was. Um, So, well, listen, one of the wonderful things about this podcast is that you also, James Hall, get to listen to it back and learn a second time. So that's wonderful. In essence, Carl Rogers is also very famous for introducing the concept and the the, uh, genre, that's not quite the right word, of therapy called client-centred therapy. And this was about tackling the power discrimination between a therapist who's trained and has a degree on the wall and a lovely leather couch and the poor, disabled, um, distressed, vulnerable patient 
um, and that power dynamic was was really concerning to him. And so client-centered therapy was about putting the client's wants and needs and ideas, internal world, thoughts, beliefs and um, choices at the forefront of the therapeutic um, environment uh, and and the therapeutic um, relationship. So client-centered therapy is really what we're talking about here. And as James has already pointed out, unconditional positive regard. The the challenging idea that no matter what the person you're working with or no matter what the person you're talking to what ideas they're bringing it's holding a set of ideas and thoughts about how you will interpret listen to interact with that information those thoughts ideas and that person without judging harshly and without bringing those judgments into the room in a way that will affect the communication and the the focus and this is true of any conversation conversations with your loved ones your friends uh you know uh, disagreement with customer services on a telephone line working with your manager your boss your parents your wife your husband your children it's about trying to use the ideas that Carl Rogers developed through observation and through experience to have a fairer, more co-productive conversation and a more positive and constructive outcome. I absolutely fully agree. There are just um, a few things that I picked out from his kind of like, here I am, Carl Rogers. (laughs) Um, Which are that he came from a very religious, isolated family he saw the um i'm just trying to remember when he was born now i can't remember i know he died the year i was born but um he saw world war um because if he was especially if he was writing this in 1940 right when the war ended i mean it was a it was a he essentially had his entire professional career right after two world wars but he was alive when war was a reality um he he kind of abandoned his parents faith he didn't feel uh, basically what dan was saying earlier about being um labeled and put in a box he he just he didn't he really didn't feel like he could s- simply say i am a christian as shorthand to signal to someone else oh you can rely on me because I too follow the word of the Lord like you and we are perfectly aligned in our religious ideology. He didn't feel like he was a signed up Christian. He hated being told what to think, which is kind of the same thing. Um, He learned from religion, but he didn't like being told what to think. So he wasn't just going to take the word of the bible as gospel and repeat it because that was what was delivered to him and um he got out of because i think he was going to he he was going to spend a life working in religious practice of some kind um but he realized he soon realized that preaching was the antithesis of what he was what he enjoyed and what he was good at so i think so i i I think he was going to become a priest and then realized "Mm -mm." it's some context as to 
as to why he would be why he would question the orthodoxy of all of his peers. He was constantly out of step with other psychologists. He was not just sort of like um, a student of Freud who came before him, sitting there in the private practice with his patient reclined on the couch, analysing them. Everything was a, was, was a reaction to that and a divergence from the, the orthodoxy of his profession at the time. Yeah, I think, you know, if I want to say anything about him from my knowledge of him is that he is the very poster boy of someone who likes people and enjoys and respects difference. He, um, in that respect, I think he was way ahead of his time. He, you know, could potentially be the grandfather of Woke. Although, of course, as Woke has developed over the years... I think perhaps some of his ideas might even still be outdated. And I think, you know, he does, like you say, he does come from an area of, you know, sort of like a kind of an ethos, a Christian ethos of loving thy neighbour. And I think that did heavily influence his idea in respecting and understanding and trying not to judge others. So I think that is important to say. Also, my guess would be there's a very, very good Wikipedia article on Carl Rogers with an early life and history section that you can read if you would like to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, to guess. I'm not so sure about the, uh, the, the, what did you call him, the godfather of woke. I don't think, it's just because I think that it's very prescriptive, some of the, some of the things that are associated with... Uh, kind of woke ideology yeah but we're talking about someone who in the 1950s was saying do not judge no matter on the background try and see people as equal try and see and understand people from their perspective and their background whereas Carl Rogers wasn't about to cancel someone for being homophobic it was more like what would make you homophobic and why are you not listening to someone who says that your actions are very distressing to them, as opposed to, this person needs to be shut up because they're a problem, they need to go. (laughs) Yeah, sort of the antithesis there of freedom of speech. All right, so in his first chapter, in his first part of this wonderful, glorious 400-page text, which is also very well referenced, by the way, so, you know, it is a good book to have on your shelf as a reference text... Um, he comes up with a number of lessons that he's learned along the way. Can we have a jingle? Carl Rogers' six life learnings. Do, 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 do. Yeah, something like that. Okay, good. We can do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he's very cautious, actually, in his language. He he likes to point out when potentially he's being maybe negative or he's being overly cautious or he's so so you know. Um, Reading around these um, significant learnings, as he calls them, uh, is quite useful. Re- really nicely written as well. Um, but I'm just going to read through them. If you, if you, if I read through them once, James, and then we can go back through them. Yeah. And I think we should have enough time today to get through the. Whether we get through parts A to H of six remains to be yeah. seen. <laughs> let's, say, let's say today is one to five of top six, and then maybe next week, you know, so we don't over. 
burden the listener with um, ideas. Uh, All right, so number one, Carl Rogers' Statements of Significant Learnings. In my relationships with persons, I have found that it does not help in the long run to act as though I was something that I am not. Number two, I find I am more effective when I can listen acceptantly to myself and can be myself. Number three, I have found it of enormous value when I can permit myself to understand another person. Number four, I have found it enriching to open channels whereby others can communicate their feelings and their private perceptual worlds to me. Number five, I have found it highly rewarding when I can accept another person. And number six, the more I am open to the realities in me and in the other person, the less do I find myself wishing to rush in to fix things. And we're going to leave A to H for now. (laughs) But we will come back to those later. So, I mean, it's a set of statements about how to get the best out of interactions and what he's learnt through them and things he reminds himself of and things that he thinks most important in all the work he's done. Uh, the first one being, I'll just just as a quick reminder, in my relationships with persons, I have found that it does not help in the long run to act as though I was something I am not. What do you think about that, James? I'm just going to make this one about myself for a moment. I'm sure the, the regular listener won't be surprised. I definitely found, since reading this book, that I have been conscious of this and it definitely doesn't help for me to act calm and pleasant when I'm angry and indignant because I used I I definitely think uh in terms of the the big five personality traits that I am very strongly correlated to agreeableness and I've always found myself very easily telling people what I think they want to hear avoiding conflict that sort of thing and often I felt myself strongly disagreeing with someone or being angry and thinking it's totally inappropriate to express anger only idiots would do that it's a destructive unnecessary thing a an enlightened evolved and sophisticated human being keeps their anger and their lashing out and their their messy emotions at bay and they present a consistent, calm, agreeable, approachable and pleasant facade in order to allow the smooth running of everything. And I do not think that that is helpful because of the way that, that negative emotions are a true fact about the psyche and to not address them to just essentially pretend they don't exist and to keep up a facade doesn't just get rid of them 
because um, you can't get rid of facts about the psyche. You can displace them, you can repress them, you can turn them into nightmares and all sorts of things, but they remain there. So when Carl Rogers says, in my relationships I found it does not help to act as though I was something that I'm not. Certainly, the more, I, th I, I would say, the more you hide the way you feel in a relationship with someone, the more you pull yourself away from that person. You split the relationship. Yeah, and, and I think what you know what he's talking about here that's really important to point out is our internal monologue um, and how what we think and what we feel don't necessarily reflect what we say. And, and I think that this is true for a lot of people a lot of the time, um, you know, whether it's through feelings of shame or issues around trust or... Um, fear of criticism or fear of um, damaging a relationship or hurting someone's feelings, I, I think it's, it is more true than not that many of us do not say what we are really feeling. We do not say often what we're really thinking. Whenever it comes to something, like you say, that is, is um, negative or distressing or... Um, contrary to what the other in the relationship or the communication might want uh, I, I mean I wish that I was better at uh, holding keep taking this piece of advice but I would say that for myself I'm incredibly bad in personal relationships at saying what I really think and really feel and would much rather keep a a sense of togetherness and connectedness to another person when in actual fact I um, um, that might not be the case. Do you think that when people start being guarded about their emotions and thinking that, you know, I'm at work, therefore I can't, I can't possibly express anger, that would be a ridiculously inappropriate thing to do and I might lose my job. As soon as they start doing that, they, there's no, it's, well, it's not so much there's no going back because that suggests that therapy doesn't work, but it's more like without therapy, there's no going back or there's, it's just an escalation. It's, it, I've started so I'll finish like you've set the rules and you play by those rules and you don't just suddenly spontaneously five weeks later think oh actually it would be better if I was honest about my emotions maybe maybe some people can be temporarily um, manipulated to conform to expectations and then realize it's not for them and to to change that but I think lots of people just maybe even just by doing it once so let's say you go for a job interview and you find the person interviewing you outrageous in some way but you you want the job and the money's good and they offer it to you so you take it and you don't say anything about you don't criticize the person who gave, who who interviewed you and then when you start the job you have a meeting and they say something in the meeting that you disagree with but you think no it's my first day I can't and and, yeah. this, and and every time you tell yourself no I can't it's an interview I can't no it's my first day I can't or uh, no everyone's got used to me being uh, agreeable I can't just suddenly be disagreeable because they'll be shocked by that so no I can't do that but I, it's all right it's only when I'm at work that I keep up this facade when I as soon as I get out of here at, uh, at six o'clock I'll be going out for drinks with friends and I can just say what I think but then you find yourself going out to drinks with friends and your friend 
um, says something about how, um, I don't know, like they feel they just wish they were in a relationship and they're sick of being single or whatever they say. And you think, you think to yourself that you, your feel, your immediate feeling is kind of critical isn't a feeling, but you're, there's some kind of negative feeling towards what they've just said. And then after having got into the habit of censoring yourself all day from when you walk in the office to the end, um, potentially it's, it's a learnt routine that you then suddenly find yourself continuing in your private life and so on. I'm not absolutely sure that that's that what I'm saying is a scientific fact. I'm just I'm wondering this out loud. But I know for myself that it's not that once I get into a habit, then um, it's not easy to. That, that you need to be mindful of it in order to break out of it. Otherwise, it's just it becomes automated behaviour, like most of what you do. However, <laughs> I would also like to say that... So, dear listener, that's... Uh, James has disappeared into the digital ether and maybe never to be seen again. So, thank you for listening today. Sorry that we ended on a mystery, perhaps to be left unsolved for all time. Whatever happened to James... I guess on one level, though, it will um, allow me to start a new podcast. Not like a mystery and perhaps, I don't say hopefully, but perhaps a murder mystery. Whatever happened to James? Well, this is exciting. Um, I, I think we're back. I think we're back. We are back, except I'm going to have to get some different headphones. Hold on. So James wasn't murdered, which, I mean, it's as disappointing to me as it probably is to you. James, question for you. Yes? Did you just keep recording, please? I did. I, I recorded all the way through. I'm still recording. Excellent. OK, well, we can sort that out later, but there's great material from my end. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait for it. <laughs> I couldn't hear you at all. The internet is entirely at my end. The internet conked out. And so I'm now... Apologies to the listener if there's any interference, but I'm now on 4G rather than Wi-Fi, so my phone is not on flight mode. I'm breaking the cardinal sin of podcasting. This is absolutely tragic and unprofessional. Anyway, you know, whatever shit you said about point one, I'm really appreciative, and I'm sure it was spot on. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the the moment when I when you could no longer hear me was when I was saying that that slightly on the other hand, I've always found it a little bit irritating when people basically um, wear their heart on their sleeve and every emotion they feel they just they just sort of like vomit it out for everyone else to deal with equally to them. In other words, they have no way of processing their emotions, um, being mindful, finding a balance between concealing all of their emotions and presenting a facade and being able to convey their emotion without it being overwhelming for the other person who doesn't need to know every single feeling they have as it happens every yeah, second. I, I mean, I think I'll agree with you and I'd, I'd hope the listener did. There's, there's a balance with these kind of things, isn't there? And I think we're talking about when 
emotions and hiding your true perspective on something and your feelings about something is actually getting in the way of a kind of an honest dialogue and it isn't progressing a relationship or progression excuse me progressing a conversation it's actually impeding it um and i've got to say i think i'm i think i'm i'm uh i'm a very naughty naughty boy when it comes to this one and i just i'd fail miserably at expressing my negative emotions to those uh, whom they're directed so today i'm gonna try james you are a twat and you irritate me all of the time i believe that that difficult outpouring of motion has made james crash again yeah i'm glad i i, I did enjoy the fact that I seem to have clear, clear, I seem to have absolute clarity now, and I had total clarity beforehand, and the whole time you were saying negative things about me, um, it was pixelated and distorted. Fantastic. But luckily, for the listener, we're recording this at each end of the conversation rather than via the medium of uh, Skype, Zoom, other um, uh, internet calling systems are available. Um, so uh, so I, I guess, you know, uh, everything that Carl Rogers is talking about is really in the context of therapy, but is also applicable to normal human relations. Um, and obviously he is coming at it from the perspective of being a therapist and trying not to let, you know, if um, if, 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 if he finds something uh, difficult or saddening or upsetting or distressing, he would find a way to describe that in non-threatening, um, non-attacking, non-judgmental language. And I think, it, although he is talking in, about all relationships, we have to remember that, you know, there's very much a therapy a therapy perspective on this. Um, okay, uh, and he did describe it in another way. He also said, I've not found it to be helpful or effective in my relationships with other people to try to maintain a facade, to act in one way on the surface when I'm experiencing something quite different underneath. Um, and I think if you look at, listen to, sorry, a lot of our other episodes around um, positive mental health, depression, anxiety, um, distress, trauma, what we do naturally as human beings or what a lot of us do naturally as human beings is try and hide our negative emotions which actually or try and suppress them or try and deny them um, um, or, or try and um, yeah ignore them and, and for some of the time that's fine but for things that are really important and things that are really powerful and strong and will affect you know your actions and your mental health and your well-being then it is really important to express those effectively to the people that need to hear them okay on to number two on our list i find i am more effective when i can listen acceptant acceptantly to myself and can be myself what do you got to say about that james in 200 words or less <laughs> it reminded me of our other friend, Irvin Yalom, uh, who in his book, Love, Sex, Ecutioner, he gives uh, unedited accounts of therapy sessions with his clients in which he talks about something like he'll, we've said this before, like there's uh, a client comes in and he thinks, oh, it's Tuesday afternoon again. Um, that man's going to come in and sit on that chair and be fat and ugly and boring and I'm going to have to put up with it for an hour. Uh, and he... I think what makes Yalom such a good therapist is that he's aware of that. And so 
he knows that in order to 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 give this person the the care and attention they deserve he has to override his honest feeling which is you're boring and i don't like looking at you being on my chair looking ugly <laughs> and but if let's just put it the other way let's say he thinks oh how horrific it is for anyone to be uh, you know sizeist or to make jokes about someone's weight or to call someone boring how nasty how unpleasant that's not me i am a good person i would never say someone is fat and boring i would never say i hate spending an hour in their company based on such awful awful um kind of like bullying of them if he were to do that, that doesn't change the fact that he finds them boring. It just makes him try and repress the idea that they're boring, hate the fact that he's having the thought that someone is boring, and um, I don't. It's just, I, I think it's just all worse, worse, worse. Don't you think? Like if you recognise, yeah, like, if you think I'm boring then know that, acknowledge it, and think, okay, sometimes James is boring, um, sometimes he delivers monologues that go on too long, but I do want... Uh, I don't think everything about James is boring, and I don't think everything about James is bad, and I do like these conversations. So if he gets boring, I'm not going to get irritated, and I'm not going to uh, repress it. I'm trying to think of a better example than someone being boring. There's better examples than this. Can you think of a better example? Um, yeah, I mean, in uh, in my work that I've done over the years, um, the, one of the, it's slightly different context, but one of the ways to deal with... So I've worked with people with eating disorders a long time, and an eating disorder for the person um, experiencing those behaviours, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of anger... There's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of very, very strong, powerful emotions, which the person with an eating disorder will often not be able to express. And um, through means of transference and counter-transference and these kind of wonderful psychoanalytical ideas, uh, a therapist can often have very, very strong experiences of emotion in the room. And I learned over time to to uh, offer up suggestions that actually from what I was experiencing or from what I was feeling that you you know that uh, you know that I felt a lot of uh, anger coming from the person or I felt a lot of frustration in the room um, and so there's certain ways of doing it in therapeutic contexts that is really useful but in personal relationships I think you know to say you know even if you're feeling very very angry and the, the your partner's behavior is irritating you a lot of the time to to recognize those thoughts and those feelings inside yourself but in that moment of anger and in that moment of distress wouldn't necessarily be best to say i'm really angry with you and you know and and go at it that way but to say to that person at a, a time when you know emotions are slightly calmer i'm feeling quite distressed by the way that we're communicating at the moment um also i'm finding some of your behaviors really irritating and perhaps you're finding some of mine, and I'm just wondering whether we can talk about that, rather than going on in the relationship as if these experiences aren't happening. And I think it's that kind of context, that, you know, the, the non-therapeutic context that can be really useful for our listener to try and understand and work with. 
Yes, I think. I mean, you can also say that only when you accept yourself do you change. Because if you basically um, are not in the habit of accepting the way you are, the way you feel, the fact that you're not just a good person, because no one is just a good or bad person. Um, so when you inevitably find yourself hating people, being angry, wishing things were different, being at odds with the world and all the rest of it, um, being just or just being tired and irritable. Um, I like to use the example of um, sometimes when I'm in the supermarket pushing the trolley and I want to I want to get at, let's say I want a red pepper and there's a box full of red peppers. I want to get access to the peppers. I want to rummage around and find the best one, be left alone to do that. When I find the one I want, pick it up and put it in my trolley. But let's say the supermarket is busy and I have no right to exclusive access to those peppers because the little old lady in front of me would also like a pepper. And so, so, so part of me thinks, I, what I think of myself as a polite person, I will let the little old lady go first. And the little old lady goes first, but maybe the little old lady is a little bit selfish and she takes way more time than one might consider is fair and reasonable. And so now there's a queue behind her. And um, in that situation, I might imagine in my head some kind of comedy way in which the little old lady dies like a fantasy, ridiculously over-the-top, exaggerated murder scenario where we all gang up on her and she's, she's, she ends up completely mutilated, uh, like just guts spewed all over the supermarket floor. Um, and then suddenly she pushes her trolley away. The fantasy was fun. I pick up a pepper. Everyone lives their life. No one actually gets murdered. And it's kind of fun in the moment to indulge the fantasy but you're not actually going to kill the little old lady. But if you kind of think to yourself, um, I am a non-violent, good person, you're still going to be frustrated when the little old lady turns out to be a selfish little old lady and takes way too much time to pick her pepper. And it's only when you accept the violence in yourself and you recognise that it's a perfectly natural thing to think this little old lady needs to go, I need to get the pepper, I haven't got time to wait here all day until she's been through every single one of them twice, can't she see she's taking too long? Th these feelings that you have are perfectly acceptable, but what's not acceptable is to kill the little old lady because she's a problem. So there's, a, there's this kind of like moderation allows you to function, but if you... If you don't moderate, if you just think to yourself, I'm a good person, then what do you do about the fact in your psyche of the anger and the desire to that the the um the little old lady die <laughs> so that she's no longer in your way? And and it's one of Jordan Peterson's rule the, the original rules for life, not the here we go again sequel. He says, um I haven't read the book itself, but I know the rule is clean your room. In other words, um, do some psychic spring cleaning so that you're mentally prepared to deal with the world and it's only then that you can change. And it's a, it's become a cliche, but I don't think... I, I often look at people who are in sort of like 
do gooder jobs, like they work for a charity or they are, you know, the minister for whatever in a government. And you can tell that they had good intentions of wanting to do good in the world. And you can also tell that they're somehow not at ease in their mind. And so they, you can see the, 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 inner turmoil between maybe you could say the unconscious and the conscious mind is evident in the way that they're not a clear communicator it's sort of like when people are fussy in the way they communicate just like I am sometimes it's easy to see that they might be struggling to find clarity in their mind and they act in a way that is supposed to be like, in other words, they would be more effective at their job if they were better at acknowledging the flaws in themselves rather than thinking, I am a good person, that's why I'm here as a charity aid worker. Because a charity aid worker can be tired, irritable and stupid and still be a charity aid worker and probably a better one if they recognise that in themselves and manage it rather than denying it and thinking, no, I'm a good person because I'm a charity aid worker. Yeah, and 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 I think you know classically um, across the board, we as human beings generally, sorry, want to rid ourselves of negative energy, negative emotions, negative energy, negative thoughts and feelings. We we don't want them. You know, we don't think they're they're right. They don't feel nice. It's not comfortable um, on the most part. Um, that when you have kind of you know violent aggressive rageful angry you know or hypocritical or disgruntled um thoughts and attitudes towards others we want to get rid of them but i I think you gave a really good example of how to kind of use fantasy in a playful way um rather than you know shouting at the old woman get out of the way you old bat what are you doing you think the world's here for your pepper picking <laughs> get out of the way of me you old hag the world wasn't designed for you to pick peppers bitch so so yeah you know the idea of like fantasy but knowing it's fantasy and knowing it's playful and knowing that that will help you uh, release that kind of frustration over the situation is a really you know positive way of doing that but it's also recognizing and understanding that you do have those you know rageful thoughts towards other people which we all do and i think it can be quite damaging you know it's kind of accepted that it can be quite damaging to suppress and try and repress those kind of negative rageful thoughts towards others if we take that little old lady for a minute let's say you don't do that let's say you think of yourself as a good person and an agreeable person who doesn't who's who's averse to conflict and wouldn't dream of criticizing unprovoked a little old lady in the supermarket who you maybe think is taking too long to pick a pepper but who are you to say what's too long to pick a pepper because you believe everything is relative and she might think that she's taking an appropriate amount of time and if you express any um, antagonism it is 
undeserved and you are the bad person. So you shut yourself up and you stand there and you let her take as long as she likes. And you think to yourself,、um, you, you feel the frustration, you feel the anger, and you hate yourself because you think, what kind of monster am I being angry at this little old lady? Who am I to say she's taking too long to pick a pepper? I'm not a bad person who judges little old ladies. I'm just going to keep standing here, and you get more and more frustrated. And then suddenly you think, okay. Relativism over. She's taking too long. I've got to say something. I've got to step in here. But but you're not that. You're not even that calm and collected because by now you've denied your rage for so long that you've come to the point where you think something's got to be done, and you suddenly blurt out something. And in that moment, you hear yourself saying it, and you think that was outrageous. I just told that little old lady. She's basically. The the spawn of Satan, and now she's crying. Whereas if you mo- <laughs> maybe something more appropriate, you know, you're going to be dead before you get to cook that pepper. <laughs> <laughs> and if you'd moderated yourself, if you had accepted, of course I'm angry. Of course I selfishly want to get the peppers. Of course I'd rather go first and make her wait.、Um, it's natural that I I. Find it frustrating to be waiting for a little old lady who takes ages to pick a pepper. But of, but the, but those feelings are natural, and I completely accept them in myself.、Uh, and now that it is getting a little bit too long, I'm going to have to step in. But there's no sort of release. You haven't been bottling it up. You've acknowledged how angry and frustrated you are with this wait. And therefore, when it comes to the time to maybe suggest that the little old lady step aside so that. Maybe she can share the box. Maybe two people can pick their peppers at the same time. It's a little bit of a compromise for her, but it's a justified compromise given how long she's taken and how many people are waiting. You might be able to convey that in a way that she accepts, as opposed to telling her she's going to die before she cooks it and leaving her to cry whilst you. Finally, sh- shaking because you're so horrified with yourself, and yet at the same time relieved that you've. Let off steam, grab your pepper and run in shame to the next aisle where you try and hide. And you think to yourself, "Oh, actually, I'll do the rest of my shopping in another supermarket. I can't take the shame." And then you repress another negative emotion. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I think I think for now that probably covers. I find I am more effective when I can listen acceptably to myself. And can be myself. Would you? Would you say? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Next time you feel any negative emotion, think of how you would deal with the little old lady taking too much time to pick a pepper. Yeah, and、uh, he sort of concludes this a little bit with saying, "So he finds it effective to let himself be what he is in his attitudes, to know when he's reached his limit of endurance or tolerance, and to accept the fact, to know when he desires to mould or manipulate people, and to accept that as a fact in himself." You know. All right, great. Well, we're like you know we're moving swiftly through these. We're already on number three. We love a countdown on Private Practice Podcast. We absolutely do, and a count up. So、uh, <laughs> number three, I have found it of enormous value when I can permit myself to understand another person. Now, for me, James, you are a prime example of this. You know.、Um, <laughs> For, for me, like you know, knowing you for the fifteen years or ish, so 
How long? Ten years ago, it was the London Olympics and I was working in the job that I hadn't yet got when I knew you. But I don't think I knew you for five years before that job. So somewhere between 10 and 15 years. Yeah, okie dokie. So so I think, um, you know, I, th- I think <laughs> getting to know you as a complex individual unique person um and understanding you know that we are very different in our approaches to communication and to life in many many respects it's it's brought me like a great deal of satisfaction that we've been able to despite those differences you know from understanding each other up to a certain point be able to come together and and develop this kind of creative excuse me this creative um, outlet for our you know swirling thoughts and feelings and ideas around um, psychology and mental health and and create this podcast and it's something that of value that has come whereas if I had you know um, and and, you know I can be quite a judgmental person if I had just decided that you were too irritating and too long-winded and I didn't have the patience and I wasn't going to be able to engage I think I would have greatly lost out on a really meaningful relationship and um, process in my life that has enabled me to learn a lot from your perspective on me and your perspective on the world um, that I would, you know, something that I would not have had. Well, I certainly feel like anything you say about me, as long as you're not too hungry... <laughs> or you know like uh some kind some kind of basically being having your strings pulled by the force of hunger or something um i what i was going to say was everything you say about me i take on board and value but then i suddenly thought what if Dan's hungry? Would I actually take on board and value what he says or would i just hear the stomach talking <laughs> Yeah, hunger does strange things to thought processes, that's for sure. Um, But I feel like I learnt this lesson from you. Possibly, I don't know if you learnt it from Carl Rogers, but I feel like I learnt it from you before reading Carl Rogers. And therefore, when I was reading it in the book, it was like reading someone saying, this is why Dan thinks (laughs) that you should allow allow yourself to understand another person as opposed to going through life thinking that you have to correct the world and that you have to um, show people why they can't see the way it should be. (laughs) And I feel like the the biggest challenge that I've faced has been my most recent one because I do um, spend my days here in Casablanca with someone who has a very disagreeable personality, kind of the take <laughs> the polar opposite of mine. Although simultaneously, he is quite he is very subtly autistic um, in different ways to me, but it's um, it's definitely um, something that has pre- presented me with with many many occasions of frustration that what and on any of those moments of frustration I could have just walked away and said no why do I spend my time with someone who leaves me feeling frustrated why don't I go and live with someone who's you know a a breeze to live with why do I live with someone difficult 
and um, to, to keep this a short story and to not go into every detail of the last two years, um, I've recently felt very happy about the way in which I've decided to just let him be, try and understand why he is the way he is in certain scenarios where it seems like he's just rude or not paying attention or careless. And um, and in many situations, I have managed to empathise and understand what it is in his shoes. Why would he be like this? Oh, I can see why he would be like that, because this is what I know about his background. This is what I know about his habits. Um, and this is what I know about his current context. He's not thinking the same things that I'm thinking because they're not reference points for him. Why would he? And so from his point of view, I can see why he would um, have have that attitude and in accepting him and just sometimes sometimes he does things where I just sort of like think I'm just going to let this happen and I'm going to acknowledge that my indignation is a valid emotional response and I'm going to not suppress my indignation because I am indignant at the way he's behaving at the moment but rather than just like with the little old lady suppressing it and then lashing out because I think he needs to be brought to justice according to my own inner Supreme Court, I will focus on my indignation and and try and understand why exactly it is I'm indignant. And if it's a problem on my part, I will concentrate on that. And if I can identify exactly why my indignation is justified then I will stop and wait for a moment when out of the current heat of the situation when I will express why I felt indignation rather than lashing out and bringing him to justice as soon as possible to make the world right again yeah I think and and I think you know a couple of uh responses to that you know that enables you to get a better understanding of other you know someone that is not you and not like you which enables you to then relate more fully and more effectively with more difference in other contexts. You know, being able to do it once, being able to to understand someone else who is not you and has not got the same experiences of you once opens the door for it to happen again. And each time you do that, in essence, what you're doing is you're... um, expanding your map of the world you're expanding your consciousness you're expanding your level of understanding for all human beings and all behaviors and from my experience the some of the unhappiest people are those that don't wish or don't attempt or aren't able to communicate with the broadest range of people possible and aren't interested in doing that that have a strong firm almost like securing hold on what is you know and and what they are and that they are right about it and that their experiences are right and that the conclusions that they made based on the experiences that they have are right and that everyone else is either wrong or doesn't understand or is an idiot and and I think I think it's very easy to fall into that mindset and I think it's something that's almost um, for those of us that have brothers and sisters or, or those of us who have siblings, it's very 
very easy to fall into that same kind of habit pattern. He is wrong. She is wrong. I am right. What they are doing is wrong. And I am right. And if they are treated differently to me, it is unfair. And and these kind of sort of childlike ideas and oversimplifications of um, experience and behaviour and motivation and drive are complicate adult relationships and we might not even have any clue where they've developed from so as an adult taking a conscious decision when confronted with someone that you do not instantly relate to or a situation that you don't instantly relate to taking the time and the um what is the word i'm looking for the the having the patience and using the technique you know or 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 developing a technique by which to try and understand a n other or a n others it is incredibly enriching because of that increase in your map of the world map of the territory of human consciousness and i think once you've done it a number of times it becomes second nature and i think working in mental health for myself you absolutely have to do that in order to develop positive, constructive and healthy therapeutic relationships with, with, with those around you, both patients and staff. Now, James, do you know what? I, I, I feel like we've got into number three of six, okay? And for myself today, I feel like we should wrap up and come back in part two and, and uh, you know, rather than say three different uh, introductions, some of which... God knows how long he spoke for. Um, I'm wondering whether we wrap up for today. Um, ask the listener to, you know, perhaps have a think about how they do re- interact with difference and how they do manage uh, internal um, internal conflict um, and whether they do express it and when they do repress it. And then next week or next session, we will come back to this and uh, move on from three... So four, five, and six, and A to H in the uh, the part one countdown of Carl Rogers on becoming a person. Leave the listener with a cliffhanger, and I would also uh, refer them back to our episode on the the big five personality traits, um, which is very relevant to um, what we've just been saying. Um, Dan, you just—you were just talking about having a sibling. Well, the only thing I wanted to say in response to that was that imagine you are an extrovert and you have a sibling who is an introvert, and you're both presented with the same situation and you react differently. And in your youth and naivety, you think that there's only that your way of reacting to the situation is correct. Therefore, the other one has to be wrong. And an understanding of the differences in personality is something that can help to to foster some empathy with how other people view things differently i would just like to ask the listener to imagine trying to put themselves in the shoes of the worst person that they know and between now and the next episode, see if they can make any... Like a little bit of homework. Think of someone you really despise and try and imagine what it could be that makes them make their decisions that you think are totally wrong. 
Yeah, and I'd probably just like to point out, though, like uh, everything that we said does not mean that you should ever put up with someone who is violent, overly aggressive or abusive to you. That is that is not what we're talking about here. And perhaps we should sort of um, circle back to that at a later date, because what we're talking about is in the normal range of safe and comfortable human behaviour. You know, Carl Rogers didn't sit in a forensic unit being stabbed in the eye with a pencil thinking, oh... I wonder why this person is stabbing me in the eye with a pencil. I'm not going to judge him for this. It's such an interesting, it's such an interesting artifact to use. And why the eye? I do wonder. What experiences did he have as a child that would make him choose my left eye? Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. And of course, I, in my experience, have never used a pencil to stab anyone in the eye. So I wonder what I can glean from this and whether I can become a more fully rounded person. Yes, with the sight from only one eye now. And of course, potentially bleeding to death on the floor of this unit. But I really would like to understand better what it is that he means as the pencil lead breaks off in the cornea. That is not what we're talking about here, okay? So, till next time, kids. Keep safe, stay away from pencils, and don't put up with shit from anyone. Express yourself. From the ordinary boys, Preston. 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 From the ordinary boys, Preston.